You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Finland's Data Protection Authority is investigating reports that Nokia 7 Plus smartphones are sending data to a Chinese telecom server. Thousands of API tokens and cryptographic keys are exposed in public GitHub repositories. The U.S. government warns that certain cardiac devices can be hacked from close range. A North Carolina county government is dealing with its third ransomware attack. The Chertoff Group's Adam Isles joins us with insights on supply chain risks and transportation. And mage cart groups go after betting companies. That'll keep you up at night. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, March 22, 2019. Finland's Data Protection Authority is investigating a potential data breach violation following a report that some Nokia 7 Plus smartphones developed by HMD Global were transmitting sensitive data to a Chinese server. NRK reported yesterday that every time one of the phones was switched on or the screen was unlocked, it sent an unencrypted data packet containing the phone's geographical position, SIM card number, and serial number to a server belonging to China's state-owned telecommunications company. HMD Global, a Finnish company that develops Nokia-branded phones, said the issue was due to a glitch in the phone activation software, which was patched last month. The company says its phones erroneously included software meant for the Chinese market. This explanation would make sense because the Nokia 7 was a China-exclusive product before a newer version was released for the global market. Collecting data when a phone is first activated is a standard industry practice, as it allows telecom companies to activate the phone's warranty. It's also possible that the activity was required for Chinese phones in order to comply with local data collection laws. The report caused additional concern, however, since it came at a time of heightened apprehension about potentially backdoored Chinese technology. HMD's phones are manufactured by Foxconn in China, so some researchers believe the issue is worth looking into further. Finland's data protection ombudsman agrees, so he's ordered an investigation. He believes that this at least looks like a violation of GDPR. HMD holds that no personal information was transmitted, but that's going to be a hard sell if the phone sent location data without users' consent. It's worth noting that Nokia itself doesn't appear to be involved in this situation, although the phones still bear its name. 
The company sold its mobile phone business to Microsoft in 2014, and the business was taken over in 2016 by former Nokia executives at HMD. More than 100,000 GitHub repositories have exposed API tokens and cryptographic keys due to poor coding practices. Researchers from North Carolina State University scanned millions of public GitHub repositories looking for text strings that resembled tokens or keys and discovered more than 200,000 exposed keys spread across more than 100,000 projects. They see thousands of new keys appearing every day, 81% of which aren't removed within two weeks. Yesterday, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the FDA warned that the Conexus wireless telemetry protocol used in certain Medtronic cardiac devices can be hacked from up to 20 feet away. Two teams of security researchers discovered the vulnerability in 16 different models of Medtronic implantable defibrillators. The Conexus protocol, which uses radio frequency to communicate between devices, doesn't implement encryption, authentication, or authorization. An attacker in close proximity could modify or inject data between the devices and their control units. The devices have some mitigations built in, and Medtronic is working to develop further safeguards. The company says the risk of physical harm to patients is low, since an attacker would have to be so close. The devices are also only vulnerable when they're in listen mode, which is deactivated throughout most of the day. The FDA urges patients to keep their monitors plugged in, saying that, quote, the benefits of remote wireless monitoring of an implantable device outweigh the practical risk of an unauthorized user exploiting these devices' vulnerabilities. Quote, the vulnerability does not extend to any pacemakers. Orange County, North Carolina is dealing with its third ransomware attack in six years. Orange County spokesman Todd McGee told a local CBS affiliate that the malware shut down systems in the sheriff's office, the register of deeds, and the local library, among others. Some systems have been restored, but the county doesn't know how long the full recovery will take. McGee said the attack was likely due to someone clicking on a malicious link, adding that it could have spread from the public computers at the library. Terrence Jackson, the CISO of Thycotic, told the Information Security Media Group that he wonders if the county paid the previous ransoms, encouraging additional attacks, or if the problem is simply poor cyber hygiene. Chris Morales, from the threat detection firm Vectra, believes the county was targeted because attackers know that local governments struggle to fund adequate security measures. And finally, RiskIQ revealed two mage card attacks which compromised the websites of the pillow manufacturer MyPillow and the mattress company Amerisleep. In the case of MyPillow, attackers placed a skimmer by registering a domain and injecting it into the live chat script in MyPillow's website. The skimmer was placed in late October but hasn't been active since November 19th. Amerisleep was compromised by a long-running campaign from December 2016 to October 2017. Two months ago, however, the attackers returned and injected skimmers into payment pages on Amerisleep's website. The domain used by these skimmers has since been taken offline, but Amerisleep's website is still compromised, and the company hasn't answered RiskIQ's attempts to inform them. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. 
Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Malek Ben-Salem. She's the Senior R&D Manager for Security at Accenture Labs. Uh, Malek, it's great to have you back. Uh, We wanted to touch today on a presentation uh, from Accenture about securing the digital economy. What do we need to know here? Uh, Hi, Dave. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, so this is a paper that we have recently published. Uh, It's based on a survey that we've conducted with a number of our clients. Um, And we want to to look at the fundamentals of the Internet. Um, We know, right, and businesses know that they're dependent on the digital economy and the Internet for growth. Hmm. But what we've been realizing and what a lot of CEOs have been realizing recently is that that growth is dependent on trust. We need to build trust with clients. So creating an online account today, purchasing from a website, downloading an app is more than an exchange of data uh, and an exchange of goods or services. But really, it's an exchange or a transaction that is based on trust. But building that trust with the current state of the internet uh, seems to be complex, uh, <laughs> and we're not sure whether that that is feasible. Hmm. So this is a study to see what can be done today by CEOs to improve not only improve their security posture, but also improve uh, digital economy as a whole for everybody. Okay, so what are some of the details? Uh, We know that without trust, the future of our digital economy is potentially at risk. The Internet is unable to sustain uh, the digital economy due to several reasons. Number one is its evolution. We know the Internet started or evolved from a military asset where security considerations were based on preventing physical failures 
to an open infrastructure where security issues are more sophisticated. The existing internet protocols are, are not secure. So that's one factor. Um, the other factor is this IoT effect. We expect, you know, probably 50 billion IoT devices on the internet. Uh, we do have an identity crisis. Uh, if you go back to 2006, an average person had to maintain six passwords, where today that average has gone up to 27 passwords. Hmm. Regulations are changing. Um, so, you know, the flow of data is changing based on that change in regulations. And the cost of insecurity, according to a study that Accenture has conducted, the cost actually over the next five years within the private sector uh, may amount to a lost opportunity of $5.2 trillion in, in revenue opportunities that are lost because of this lost in trust in the digital economy. Hmm. So something has to be done, uh, and this is beyond just securing infrastructures, uh, but rather uh, something that businesses have to do across ecosystems. And so what are the recommendations? What do you all propose? So we do propose uh, continuing the technology investments, what we call, you know, continuing to do the work underground. Uh, so that's the technology investments, securing the infrastructure, the plumbing underneath our digital economy. Hmm. Uh, but also, more importantly, what we recommend to CEOs is uh, focusing on governance. So joining forces with other companies to govern globally, creating an internet security code of ethical conduct for each industry, being proactive with standards, particularly with principle-based standards, you know, like trusted AI, explainable AI, uh, ethically aligned design, promoting consumer control of digital identities, you know, taking privacy as a digital human right, and then uh, committing to sharing information about cyber attacks across uh, industries, across an ecosystem. Uh, that's from the governance side. But we also have recommendations about the business architecture. So obviously, CEOs need to prioritize security by design. Uh, they need to make sure that their line business leaders are accountable for security and that uh, they protect the entire value chain. So we have recommendations related to technology investments. We've been you know, doing that. We continue to make those recommendations, but we also have um, strong recommendations on adopting best practices and um, ethical conduct for each industry and uh, around governance across business ecosystems. All right. Well, uh, it's an interesting uh, paper. Certainly a lot of ground covered there. Again, uh, what's the title if folks want to hunt it down? Uh, securing the Digital Economy, Reinventing the Internet for Trust. All right. Malek Ben Salem, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. 
And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Adam Isles. He's a principal at the Chertoff Group, where he helps clients evaluate their security risk management programs. Adam Isles previously served as Deputy Chief of Staff at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. He joined us from the Chertoff Group's Washington, D.C. offices to discuss management of supply chain risk. You need to take a risk-based approach, right? Not, not every supplier represents the same degree of risk, right? You know, if you're getting a training service, right, that's a different level of risk than, you know, someone that's managing your payment systems. Right. And, and so, you, you know, you, you apply risk-based approach and you apply resources to those areas of, you know, greatest criticality, you know, and, and, and or risk. I think we're, we're, we're certainly in a situation right now where we have a very disaggregated approach and, frankly, a very inefficient approach where you've got lots of resources being applied as against supply chain risk but, but in, a, in a very decentralized um, onesie-twosie way. And, and that, that creates major issues both for efficiency and effectiveness. From an efficiency point of view, put yourself in the shoes of a vendor where you know, you're, you're, you're selling essentially the same product, be it a service, you know, software, firmware, hardware, to multiple buyers. And it's like, oh my gosh, I've got to go through how many vendor risk assessment processes, you know, None of which asks entirely the same questions. None of which has the same, you know, audit process. There's a huge amount of inefficiency involved in going through onesie twosie, you know, vendor risk assessment processes that cries out for simplification, mm-hmm. right? That, that cries out for, you know, some level of global or industry sector basis consensus around, you know, what what is a good risk based, you know, kind of assessment process look like. You know, were we to move over time to a more standardized approach, at least across industry verticals, then you've got, you know, a real incentive on the part of vendors to say, look, if I meet this bar, if I make this investment bar, you know, it's 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 not only going to kind of check the compliance box, but it may actually, you know, um, help me differentiate my uh, my offering, particularly vis-a-vis, you know, uh, the competitors that can't achieve whatever good looks like. Um, so I think that there's both a challenge and an opportunity in trying to provide a kind of a more standardized process to understanding, addressing, and monitoring, uh, you know, supply chain risk uh, um, across sectors. And are you seeing efforts in that direction? Yes. Um, and I think you kind of have to, you know, take it on a kind of a sector-by-sector approach. I mean, the defense industrial base has dealt with this issue for um, really for, for decades, right? I mean, in other words, if you can't hack the Pentagon, hack the Pentagon suppliers and, uh, you know, you'll achieve, um, you know, some of the same effect. I mean, I, I, um, my career began at the justice department. You know, I started, uh, at, at DOJ in the criminal division 21 years ago. And, you know, when I did in the late 1990s, um, a book called the, uh, cuckoo's egg, uh, was required reading. And the cuckoo's egg tells the story basically of, an East German intelligence um, uh, plot to, you know, compromise computers at Lawrence Berkeley uh, National Lab, 
to steal, uh, you know, strategic defense initiative, you know, Star Wars type uh, secrets. And so carry forward to today, right? If you look at U.S. cert alerts, what we're seeing is is that same basic approach proliferating across sectors. So now we're moving beyond the defense industrial base uh, to the electric utility subsector, the energy sector. And you have to look no further than, you know, U.S. cert alerts from spring of last year to talk about how Russia is essentially leveraging, I think, what are referred to as stepping stone, um, you know, attacks to, you know, move from a vendor, you know, then into a, uh, you know, a, a, an actual utility. And so I think the opportunity, right, is at, at a sector to try to start to achieve some level of consensus on, uh, you know, what, what, what does good look like? You know, I mean, and so by way of example, in the financial services sector, right, you've seen efforts to develop kind of model contracts, um, you know, that would speak to, at least for the acquisition of, of software, you know, what are the core, you know, terms and conditions you'd want to see in, in, in contracts. And, you know, you're also seeing, I think, kind of additional class of third-party risk management vendors that are coming onto the market, you know, that are offering kind of specialized tools that allow greater focus into, you know, things like actual effectiveness and, uh, and, and continuous monitoring. Those tools are being adopted kind of to varying degrees, you know, from, from one sector to the other. So I think where this kind of comes together is, a, is a, you know, in, in those places where sectors come together to address uh, security risk, places like, uh, you know, the, the FSI SAC, the Electric Subsector Coordinating Council, you know, EEI, um, and, and other, um, other sector organizations. I think at a general level, really, the, it's, it's kind of a three, three legs of the stool approach. Right. Whatever we're dealing with, you start by assessing risk. Right. That's the first leg of the stool. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't apply the same level of security to, you know, each part of the supply chain. Right. You focus resources on where you have the, the greatest risk. Um, the second leg of the stool is, is mitigation. Right. That is OK. We, having done a risk assessment, what is that balance of preventive, detective, response and recovery oriented resources that most cost effectively actually buy down risk? The third leg of the stool, I, I think, is one where um, people often fall down, and that's what I refer to as risk monitoring. And, and by monitoring, I don't mean, you know, do you have like a sock that, that's, that's constantly monitoring stuff. I'm talking about monitoring security systems and technology systems to ensure that they're operating as intended, which is to say, okay, I've, I've put a defensive countermeasure in place. Is it actually operating the way I, I think it is? Because what we see over and over and over again, endpoint detection response tool, intrusion detection system, DLP system that someone thought they had in place wasn't actually operating as intended. And mm-hmm. Equifax is a great example of that, right? Equifax actually had, you know, kind of, you know, outbound, uh, you know, DLP inspection uh, in place. It just wasn't working. And right. in fact, when they figured out it was not working and... You know, they updated the certificate that was required to make it work. That's when they discovered that they they may have been victimized by a breach. That's Adam Isles from the Chertoff Group. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. 
And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Vaughn, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 